0: in their life. Also, as well as that, if you could take two seconds to rate and review this podcast, it would mean the world to me. What that would mean is that it drives this podcast further in terms of reach so that more dentists across the world can be able to benefit from the knowledge contained therein. Welcome. Welcome, Welcome to the Dentists Who Invest podcast. Back to the second half of this two-part episode on taxes. We pick up where the conversation left off in the previous episode wow well every time you know what i always come onto to these podcasts and these content and i always think tax i get it you know <laughs> or at least i think i do you know what i mean and then there's always like another just as we said just another layer to it or another thing that i come away i come away it's almost like the more you know dentistry is like that too any any dentist can relate to this there's such a thing as your life becomes harder because you know too much almost and taxes kind of like that in a way, but you know, but I'm never going to be the guy that says, listen, I don't want to learn more because the more, you know, the more nuanced it becomes. And ultimately the more, you know, the more efficient that you can be. And yeah, well you, you have this, you're enlightened, aren't you? You live this, you live this existence. where you are no longer in a cave and you can make these things work so much better for you. I think long story short, if we're going to distill this, into maybe one piece of advice it's get an accountant a dental accountant who really really knows their stuff and knows how to help you
1: yeah i mean absolutely get get it get it early as well is I mean, my fees don't change the you know whether you come in early or later it doesn't make a difference to us because we, we build on direct debit it's and the reason why we do that is when when you think of it as something like a membership you want to extract as much as you can from that membership. And you don't think of it as a one-time deal that, you know, something that you do once a year, it's something that's an, it's an ongoing continuation and it's always something that's going to be there. And then you've got someone you can bounce ideas off, which enriches your knowledge, because as time progresses, you might say, Bill, I'll kind of claim myself as an expense. And I'll laugh at you down the phone, but then you say, well, Bill, why can't I claim myself as an expense? And I can, I can go through the, the reasons why you can't. But then you say, well, what about a desk? Well, yes, you can claim a desk and you can claim a chair. You can do all that kind of stuff because it's purely business related and you're not going to use it for anything else. Is is that kind of stuff is it, it, it creates a mindset for you that says, as you're layering this knowledge on over three, four, five years, when you get to that pinnacle of I'm going to start a business. And it's not for everyone. You know, you might not want to start a business. You might just be happy doing your NHS for the rest of your life. And that's completely fine. It's, it's a great way. It's a great income and you get a great pension at the end of it. Um, you know if you 're more entrepreneurial and you you 're looking at other things as that as that stage progresses we 're with you along that journey, but also we hope that we 've educated you along the way as well so you 're now focusing your questions back onto us
0: awesome man that 's cool. We touched upon this a little bit earlier well actually it 's a little bit of a sore spot for me almost it 's those exemptions that we spoke about. This is something that I always find super interesting when I hear people talk about this because. There's always, there's the exempt, when I talk to, every single accountant seems to have different exemptions that they're aware of, okay? And you can talk to one and they'll say, oh, well, maybe you should think about your phone is 50-50, your laptop's 50-50, or your car. You can get your car to do this and increase your tax band if it's half business. What are the most, we've we've got the obvious ones, we've got the GDC You've got your indemnity, all the, you know, black and white, clear as day ones that everyone knows about. Are there any out there that you quite often feel are overlooked for us dentists and they're almost like obvious ones that there's no ethical or moral quandaries about them? Because we don't want it to be anything like that. We just want it to be straight up ones that people quite often overlook. What are those in your experience and what do you quite often yeah, just what do you quite often see in terms of those going wanting or getting overlooked or missed effectively? What are the best? Ones? It's,
1: it's a great question, um, and if we start with the textbook definition, and, and we the textbook definition, um, and it's expenses, not not exemptions, because if oh, you think of pardon. expenses, my, my terminology is a
0: little off. Expenses, I beg your pardon.
1: So, I think that way is if you if you understand what you're doing is. Um, Anything that's wholly and exclusively incurred in business is, is an allowable expense. So anything that you wouldn't ordinarily come across is uh, in your normal day to day life. So so things like mileage commuting to work you can't claim that because you would have to go to a place of work. But if you were a specialist and you know someone that was on call that didn't actually have a base of work that did stuff purely bounce to bounce site to site to site 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 site. Then you can claim that as an expense because you've got no regular place of work because you, you're only you're you're either you know an emergency dentist and you don't have a, a regular place of work. Um, but then wholly and exclusively incurred. So let's say James, you wanted to get an M three and you wanted to put that through the business. Well, technically you can, technically, but you can never do a single personal mile in it. So it all has to be business use and it can't be commuting um but if you did that so let's so let's say you wanted to start a podcast and you wanted to drive around i mean much less, let's say carpool karaoke that's content that you do for your business um and if we if we take it we'll, we'll come back to this because i can hear you getting excited is <laughs> <laughs> oh yes if if, if we i will train of thought slightly here is uh ah, so if we look at the American system, so the American system is based on something called Sarbanes-Oxley or SOX. You might have you might have seen that reference somewhere. Now, SOX is you have to apply the letter of the law that says you cannot claim pears as an expense. You cannot claim pears as an expense. But, you, but So what? That so there's tax lawyers out there that will say, well, I can claim oranges, I can claim apples, I can claim kiwi, I can claim everything, but I can't claim pears. The UK is different. So, so the UK, we apply something called the spirit of the law that says you can't claim pears. So what I'm basically saying is you can't claim fruit. Um, so you've, you've got to work in the spirit of the law. Now, that helps us because it's, it's very subjective. So the reason why you'd want a qualified accountant is because we understand the, the tax code, which changes yearly, by the way. When when Rishi will come out with his big red briefcase, that sends me loopy that is because I know there's going to be £20,000 worth of tax code that I've got to read through at some point, um, and, and everything changes. So if it's wholly exclusively incurred for business, it's an expense. You know, if, if you've got an Apple Watch, that you need to monitor your diary, then yes, that would be an expense. But if you're not going to use it for that purpose, then you can't. So how and, and again, going back to the point I made right at the start, was you're responsible for these numbers. So if we can we can accurately justify why you put something through as an expense, you can claim it. Um there's some there's certain things that you can't, you absolutely can't, you know, you can't claim your your mortgage as an expense. However, if you had a dedicated space in your home, that was 20% of the, the floor space of your house and you used it specifically for work purposes and it was never used for anything else. And you you, know, you absolutely know, if ever under a HMRC investigation, you'd absolutely stand up saying, no, it's locked, it doesn't do anything else, it's got all my files in there, no one else is allowed in there. You can apportion 20% of your overhead costs to the business because it's solely used for business. So you can absolutely do that. Now, things like loops... I mean, I know I've got an Instagram picture. where I'm looking at a calculator with my loops. Um, is if you're you, there's no there's no purpose for loops outside of the work that you do. So yes, that's an allowable expense. You know, when when PPE was prevalent, and you you had you know some people were using the, the hoods again. That's a, that's an allowable expense. The the one I get asked all the time is, can I claim a Hugo Boss suit, or can I claim can I claim my suit as an expense? I say yes, you can, but you've got to put a prominent logo, an embroidered logo on the chest or somewhere in a prominent location. Now, do you want to put your logo on a £2,000 suit or a £3,000 suit? No, want to go behave yourself then. <laughs> so stop, stop asking the silly questions. But if you're going to go buy branded branded um, clothing, then yes, that, that's an allowable expense because it makes no sense why you'd wear that outside of work.
0: I see. Yeah. So again, it's there's no definitive list as such is what you're saying, but the, no. it's the spirit of the law. And there are some quite common ones that you come across. And then I suppose there's always going to be a little bit of gray or area for nuance and debate. So maybe, again, just as you said, best to run it by your accountant.
1: Yeah. Um, and I mean, if, if you can wholeheartedly say it is absolutely for business use, then it's fine. If 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 it's quite subjective, then speak to your accountant first, get, get your paperwork. And I get asked all the time, you know, clients will be in the Apple store. I'm about to buy this. Can I claim it? Well, yeah the the it gets a bit more clear cut when you operate as an empty company um which is probably a neat segue into the next point is we've gone through in detail about sort of sole trade all that journey looks like what the associated taxes are and then when you get to a certain point of income is could i be doing better and um better the subjective term because you know you might save a couple of grand as an empty company but can you be asked for the paperwork uh, and the additional administrative uh, headache, and then people just can't, and they're quite happy to sustain as a sole trader. So the the, the, re- the first questions I really ask anyone is before going into the numbers, you go going to some of the, the, the catch-alls that say, you know, let's go down the decision tree and work it out? Because as an accountant, it can be sometimes disingenuous if I push you down a path that's going to earn me more fees. And I think a lot of what we do has to be beyond reproach, has to be ethical that says, we want we we want this partnership for the next 30, 40 years. So I don't want you to think that I'm trying to sell you down a path because really the only reason why we charge more money is because it takes more time and we base everything based on hours. So if it takes more time for us to do, we, we have to charge more for it. And that that's where the fee structure comes into it. So we we always give you the information that says you've got to make that decision so we can't make that decision for you. But the first couple of questions, so when, when you hit certain income levels, is then we, we'll raise a question to you that says, James, you know, you're at. 100K, do you want to think about limited company? You go, well, yeah, but you know how do I get my money out? And they'll, they'll, you'll have you know 101 questions, which is completely fine. But the first considerations we make is the first thing, IR35, is will the practice you work with allow you to operate as a limited company? Because you know the tax savings at this point are irrelevant if you can't earn your income within a limited company. So you've got some of your large corporates. So it's generally any 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 practice over 50 employees um has to make that consideration. And the reason why they have to make that consideration is they then have to pay national insurance on your behalf um, if you operate as a company. They don't want to do that. Um, so it's not worth it for them. So you that's the first consideration is, is is will the practice I work with even let me do it. The second one is superannuation. Now I get I get this all the time. I don't know where this information comes from, but the apparently the pension scheme is terrible. Uh, and again I won't labor the point on but it's it's a fantastic scheme. If I could be in it, I absolutely would. I think it's fantastic. I've encouraged my wife to go back into it because it's fantastic, and you know we've got two kids, and we benefit from the maternity benefit twice, and the maternity benefit far outweighs any tax saving you'd get because, you know, you're looking at potentially a maximum of about thirty six grand um, a year per per child. So if you, you know, you had your child, first child, take the benefit, go back to work for a bit, have get pregnant again, so it can it can be really important for family planning as well, which is why I like to get to know my clients first. Says if you're planning for a family, then limited company is probably not the right option for you because um, you're going to forego this benefit. But if you've got a tiny NHS contract where you don't do any any NHS anymore, then it is even worth staying in it. And that's really the final point is it really bases on the superannuation, but that's based on your NHS income. And if that's a minuscule proportion of your income, then it's not really a factor. And the final one is long-term aspirations is if you're going to go into a limited company and your goal is to take out all the cash, each, each year, then you're sort of missing the point of an company, And we'll go into one of the reasons, What we'll go into that in a bit more detail is, it's understanding what your long-term aspirations are. Do you want to buy a practice? Do you, are you looking to set up a squat practice, which is a very popular um, option at the moment because of the 130 percent super production? Are you looking to buy an NHS practice? Are you looking to do something else completely different? Do you want to open your own pizzeria? You know, it, it, it happens. People people have aspirations within with, with things outside dentistry. One of the popular ones on the, on the group itself, on the Facebook group, is property investment, um, which is a massively popular option. Um, and again, the, all these things are, are are worth considering because these then leave the decision tree on not only what your limited company looks like, but what your what your corporate structure looks like. And we'll go through that. So we'll start with IR35. So has your practice made an assessment? And the assessments beyond that is, do you own your own di- diary can you send in someone to do your work for you? So, if you've got a root canal next Thursday, can James send in a suitably qualified dentist to cover the work, or does it have to be James? Can you refuse patients? Can you set your own treatment plan, or is someone setting your treatment plans up? And then, do you incur costs from treating patients? How are you, you know, if it the one the one the example that I like to think of is if it looks like a horse and sounds like a horse, think horse, not zebra. And that's 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 what HMRC's perspective on it is because where I 35 really came from was. Um, nurses working within um, NHS trusts or hospitals working through limited companies saving tax the NHS was paying less tax but they were employees they couldn't they couldn't say no I'm not seeing this patient they didn't set out any treatment plans they they executed the work they were told to do which is why that whole that, that's where I 35 really came from and as we said the pension the maternity benefit and the long-term aspiration so if you've if, if after if after what we've just discussed and you still want to go a limited company, then, then what are the differences? Um, the biggest one is the limited company is a completely separate legal entity to you. So James Martin Limited is a completely separate legal entity to James Martin. So um, what that means is if you work for the limited company, you are an employee or a contractor, um, it's not your limited company. You are a shareholder that that is an investor in the company that you also happen to work for. This then means you get a small salary and the reason why we say a small salary because it's tax efficient to do it and the rest of the income is made from dividends because the biggest one I get is, well, I've got all my money being uh, into a limited company now, how do I get it out? Um, and that's really the, the first really educational point on sole trade is, uh, on limited companies is the goal isn't to get it all out. The goal is to stay as close to 50K as possible. So, you know, one of the questions that I like to go on is James, you know, how, how much do you need to live off? Well, I want to max out my ISIS last 20K, fine. Uh, I want to buy a bike to that a year. So that's, I need another 50K there to put the deposit down. And then my overhead costs are two grand a month. So I need all this money. Well, you probably don't need that because the 50K that you're going to put a deposit on, we're going to do that through the limited company. So what are your living costs actually? So, you know, max out your ISIS 20K. Can you live off the other 30K comfortably? Yes. You know, um, no, but I can't, you know, I've got car payments. But if you take a limited, if you take an electric car through the limited company, it doesn't eat into the 50K by much. Is that an option now? Yeah, it is. Let's do that. And then you you, you soon realize 50K does actually stretch a long way when a lot of your your, uh, um, costs are taken care of by the limited company. So, I mean, at this point, have you got any questions? Do you want to jump in at this point?
0: Yeah, I mean, the only thing that's going through my head is, and just for anybody who's listening, the limited company, my understanding would be that even though it is a separate legal entity, You can take as much money out of the limited company as you want to pay for your personal, whatever, your day to day activities, providing it doesn't compromise the, or doesn't make that company go bankrupt. Is that correct? Or have I understood that? Or would that only be, so let's say, let's say, let's use something really whimsical. Like, say I went to Tesco's and I use my company card to pay for my weekly food shop. Is that kosher? Or is that not kosher? Is that okay or not? Okay? So,
1: that's a, so that's a great example. That is um, so y- yes and no, and this is a horrible answer. So so think of it this way, James: is you've set up James Martin Limited, yep, yep. You've employed me to run James Martin Limited. I'm the director. You're the shareholder. Mm-hmm. I go to Tesco and I use the company's card to do my weekly shop. How would you feel about it?
0: Um. Oof. Well. We we'd have to be really close. We'd have to be really good mates for it to be permissible, I suppose, yeah. wouldn't we? Yeah.
1: So so directors of a business have something called a fiduciary responsibility. Now, this is something people can go to prison for is you have to make every decision in in the best interest of the shareholder. Now you might be the shareholder, but you've also got to assume you're not the shareholder because in the eyes of the law, they don't care. Um it's it's corporate so the companies act. It, there's there's some very strict rules which is why i said there's a lot of administration that comes with operating a limited company and then you've got to ask yourself whether the tax savings is worth it now a lot of this sounds quite scary it takes care of itself so in in that example now let's say james you did use the company's money to to buy you know your your, your weekly shop if it's under 50 quid it goes into trivial benefits which means the company can claim it as an expense you pay no tax on it so um, this is a good example is there's little little Easter eggs within two companies. So something called trivial benefits basically means, I've got a, a post on this, is you can the company can gift its employees up to six gifts a year, providing each gift doesn't exceed 50 quid and it's not cash. So that's 300 pounds worth of gifts you can receive, providing each gift doesn't exceed 50 quid and it's not cash. So that could be, 300 quid's worth of fuel, that could be, you know, three tanks or six tanks of petrol, that can be six shopping trips, that could be six lots of 50 quid shirts that you've bought, whatever you have bought, that's that's completely kosher. Um, how it's managed in in, in in the real world, as opposed to the, the, the eyes of the law, is you can only take out money in one or two ways out with Intercom, but three ways. One is an expense repayment. So James has done mileage for the business. Uh, it's not a company car. It's his own car. You train back 45 a mile. So you can claim that. The other is you take a small salary from the business. So that's done by payroll. You take, a, you take a payroll. And then the third one is dividends. Now, your dividends can technically only be paid after corporation tax. So if the company's made 100K uh, after all expenses, including salary, that gets us to um, 81K after 90% corporation tax that 81k is deemed distributable and that 81k can now be paid to the share to the shareholders Now i think people get nervous at this point but think oh crap i can only take out a lump sum once a year you, you, you can take out a dividend as often as you like there's but you've just got to take an estimation you, so again which is why we do the accounts the way we do it because we've got a running tax total is if you've made 10 grand this year Paid you've set aside 1900 pounds for your corporation tax, which means in that month 8100 pounds is distributable. How it works in practice is we sort of put all that money to a pot aside, we get to the 31st of March, and we then work out how much you've taken out. And then you know, again, we monitor it throughout the year, so we know you're at 50k at this point anyway. After your salary, is then we then declare that as a dividend, so that's how it works in in, in the real world. But um, you know, using the company's money to pay for stuff willy nilly is a bit of a no no, yeah, Um, and you shouldn't do that.
0: It's, it's ring-fenced. It's ring-fenced a lot yeah. more. So that's another thing we definitely have to consider when we decide yeah. whether we're going limited or sole trader.
1: And, and the other one is things like, um, and I think the biggest one I catch people out is the bank. The business has to have its own bank account in the business's name. And you can't start putting your direct debits through that. So if the if your mobile phone, where you're only claiming 50% cost on, is now um, it, you're now doing, you now move the direct debit to a limited company, you can't actually do that because the phone's in your name personally. You you can either transfer the contract over to the limited company or we claim it as an expense. So there's little bits like that along the way as well that says when you're going to you know redo your broadband, it might be an idea to put it through the limited company. Um, there's there's reasons beyond that outside of this where you don't have to apportion it, but we can we we, we take that offline. Same with the mobile phone, the contract just has to be the business name, um, and then any any usage that you use over and above it. You know, let's say you go on a holiday to wherever you go and you rack up the bill, you're responsible for that bill. Uh, but again, how we manage that throughout the year is slightly differently as well. But you've got to be, there's a bit more sensibility that says you can't just spend it willy-nilly as you were as a sole trader because it was all in your bank account. You have to have this separation that says this is the business's money, this is how I take it out, and this is how I deal with it going forward.
0: I see. It's actually a little more complex than what my perception of it was then because I thought it was just yeah. sheerly as long as you could prove that you didn't make the company go bankrupt, then you would be you would be okay. But it's really, it's not like that at all, really. And it's definitely something that anybody out there who is thinking about setting up their own limited company needs to take into consideration. But I know that another very, well, you you did mention this earlier, another reason why people can be very keen to set up their own limited company is because obviously when you pay into that company, you pay corporation tax, which is... Yeah. What, twenty odd percent, something like that?
1: Nineteen percent, nineteen percent.
0: Nineteen percent, wow, nice. So that's much less, that can be much less than your income tax bracket, depending on how much you earn. And the yeah. more money that you can place in that company, the less tax you will pay and the more that you have available to invest. So therefore you can grow it that much more depending on how well whatever your investment portfolio might look like so that could be stocks that could be well whatever you want it to be really and that is that's one of the major most lucrative things i suppose but it all depends on your plan depends on your strategy what you're comfortable with what your goals are what your aspirations are there's so many things to consider Real quick, guys, I've put together a special report for dentists entitled the seven costly and potentially disastrous mistakes that dentists make whenever it comes to their finances. Most of the time, dentists are going through these issues and they don't even necessarily realize that they're happening until they have their eyes opened. And that is the purpose of this report. You can go ahead and receive your free report by heading on over to www.dentisoninvest.com forward slash podcast report. Or alternatively, you can download it using the link in the description. This report details these seven most common issues. However, most importantly, it also shows you how to fix them. I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely right. Um, so, if we go through that sort of the corporation tax as an example, so for every, there's no tax thresholds for a corporation, it's for whatever profit you earn in the period is, is taxed at 19%. If you make a loss, you can carry that, that loss forward for three and a half years to offset against future profit. So it's it, it depends on what you're trying to achieve in the short term. Um, you don't pay any national insurance at this point. Um, you get the same tax-free allowance. So the first 12,500 pounds you earn is tax-free. You then get a 2K tax-free dividend allowance. But then up to 50K, dividend tax is taxed at 7.5%. So this is where it starts getting a bit tasty is, in the example before, up to 50K, you're paying, uh, in essence, 29% tax, which is you know, 20% income tax and 9% um, national insurance. You're now paying 19% um, corporation tax at the one side. You're now only paying 7.5% up to 50K, which is why we use that 50K number as a, as a, a sort of a, a bumper, as a sort of a soft ceiling that says, let's, let's take that as phase one because that's where the maximum tax efficiency comes from. But then anything you take over 50K, uh, up to 150k, so similar sort of banding is taxed at 32.5%. That's dividend income. Then anything over 150k, you get tax. Your dividend income is taxed at 38.1%. So if we if we use the examples where we used before, that said we had 50k, 60k, 100k, 125k, uh, 150k, and 200k. What would I save in tax? So at 50k, and I'm completely ignoring student loan at this point um, because. I don't count that as a tax. It's it, how you how you rationalise debt payments in your head is up to you. If you're talking to me pure cash, what can I have more in my bank account at the end? We can cover that offline. So feel free to reach out to me. But uh, if we take student loan to one side and just look at tax and national insurance and so on and so forth, at fifty k you're saving fifteen hundred quid. Um, people tend to say at that point is is it worth it? Well, if I could save fifteen hundred quid, absolutely would. But then I say, "Well, you're going to charge me an extra fifteen hundred quid to do that, or you can charge me. Well, you can charge me more money, fifteen hundred quid. You can charge me more money to to service a limited company. I do, but then I have things Easter eggs in my back pocket and mitigate against that, and my fees are tax deductible anyway. So it's not as not as clear cut as uh, you're going. I'm going to save you fifteen hundred quid, and I'm going to charge you fifteen hundred quid to do that. It's not as clear cut as that. So if we say you'll save fifteen hundred quid, at sixty k. That saving jumps up to three point two k." reason being is we're now taking benefit of that 40k bit uh that's 40 over 10k um saving then drops down over 100k so when you get to 100k it gets to 1800 pound tax saving at 125k you're saving three and a half grand at 150k you're saving 2.6k and at 200k you're saving three and a half grand at this point people then ask well why do the amounts vary because the proportion of corporation tax dividend tax versus Student loan, uh, sorry, not student loan. National insurance rates and income tax bands—they they start bouncing around, which is why I use those integers as, as difference. Now, if you, uh, it goes back to what I was saying before, was if your goal is to take out all the money out of a limited company, you're kind of missing the point of a limited company. And James, you touched on fantastically—is you're now in the point where you start looking at well, where can I invest? That says, um, and then you factor in sort of the rising corporation tax. So, I mean, the, the, the savvy amongst us might might say, well, but I'll corporation tax is going to increase where uh, it's going to increase to 25%. Y- yes, it is, but that's on a sliding scale. So the sliding scale hasn't been, we haven't been given the number, but, but it's the full 25% charge at tax once you're making profits of 250K. So it's a nice problem to have at 250K. Um, but then you're you're still missing the point that says, well, if I'm, only, if I'm getting taxed at 25%, then it's not worth it. It absolutely is worth it because the biggest benefit, and this is where the sort of the conversation turns, and again, let's let's sort of recap the journey we've taken: is foundation year employed, the first year associate, sole trader, couple of years as an associate where you found your niche. Now you're looking at the next steps of of your investment journey and sort of your your dental maturity at this point as a business owner. Is the benefit of a limited company companies you get to control how much money you've taken out? So, James, you're absolutely right. That says, well, I've taken out fifty k. What do we do with that money that's left in there? So let's let's take some of those examples before that says at 80k, if you only took out 50k, um, you would you'd save 7.8k in tax. So 80k versus sole trade and limited company. We take a 50k at the business, um, which leaves some money left in the business. So at 80k, you've saved 7.8k in tax and you've got 16.7k left in the limited company, which a limited company can invest in everything uh, an individual like you and I can. At 100K, um, again, you take taken out 50K of the business, um, you've saved 12.4K in income tax or total taxes, and now you've got 33K left in the business to invest. At 150K, you're saving 26.4K, 4K, and you've got 73 grand left in the business. At 200K, 200 grand, cutting the words out, you're saving 40.4K in tax, and now you've got 113.8K left in the business. Now these are some mind-bending numbers that says, but well, hold on, Bill, you saved me forty grand in tax, and you're saying I've got one hundred thirteen k to invest." And the answer is yes. If you're taking fifty k at your business, and that's the amount that you need to live off, and we've been, you know, you've got the stuff for Tesla and, and that kind of that kind of thing, so you've maxed out. Not only you maxed out your IC, you've still got sort of three-ish two and a half grand a month to live off. That might be enough. That might not be enough. It's up to you. And then you have at two hundred k. You've saved forty k in tax, and you've got nearly one hundred fourteen k left to invest. And you know, go back to the, the buy-to-let um, property investment, or sort of the financial freedom po- podcast that, that have happened in the past. Is 113k a year to invest? Is some serious That's some serious insane. numbers. Yeah,
0: you'll be financially free yeah. in no time.
1: Yeah, and I think this is a sort of a neat way to wrap that up. And then um, there's a couple of caveats to this. Is so, let's say you need more than 50k to live off. Go for it. It's your money. You're still making a saving because if we if we use a 100k example. You'd have paid all the tax on all the 100k. You don't get a choice on that as a sole trader, but as a limited company, let's say you want to take out 70k, you're still saving 6k in tax, and you've still got 12.8k left in the business to invest, and that means you've now taken out 70k, which is 20 20k over the 50k. Simple math, and that 20k is taxed at 32.5%, and then you know, I've ignored uh, student loan impact on that, but that's another 9% on that. But then. That's that's where that really comes into it. And I'll give you some examples. I mean, I've got a client that buys and sells Bolexes. Um, and he's got a dealership, you know, he's got however he does it. But then that money just goes back into the business. So he uses the business money to, it's called assets held for sale. It's like if you're going to buy gold or anything really that says he's, he's held an asset to liquidate it. Company then pays um, 19% corporation tax on the, on the proceeds. It's presented slightly differently in your accounts. Um, and it doesn't get mixed up in with your trading income. It's investment income at the bottom. And then that investment income is then um, you, you then uh, pay corporation tax on that, but then there's ways and means to mitigate against that. You know, should we reinvest it, so on and so forth, whatever you do. Um, and then then people say, well, Bill, oh, well, I want to buy a house. Um, you know, how do I manage that number that says, you know, I've been to the mortgage advisor, the mortgage advisor says, I need to be showing 70 k in my books. You know, speak to m- mortgage advisors. You know, some of them will take your limited company accounts into account and say, yes, you've only taken 50K out, but clearly you, you're not taking all the money available out. And that really depends on the bank, really depends on the mortgage advisor. But if, if it comes down to it, it says, well, I need to take out 70K for the next couple of years, that, that's completely fine. You know, we have to be honest and truthful to the bank. As long as you're affording your payments and something hasn't changed in your income strategy, then it's completely fine to do that. And, you know, we, we, we tweak things as and when necessary. Um, and I think what, one of the notes I've got here is you know you're a separate legal entity, so you can't just take out money willy-nilly. So there there has to be that clear separation, that has to be a clear um distinction. And like I say, ring fence that money because the company owns that money. And then how you then invest that money is is probably uh probably for part two, really. But then um people then ask, well, what do we do with that money that's left over in the business? And that, that's a big one because I think there, there's a bit of a nervousness. That says that money is now stuck there. Now you can do whatever you want. You can invest in whatever you like. Um, you know, one of the most pertinent ones is property investment. Now you can't use the limited company that you've set up to um, invest in property. You have to set up a separate limited company. That's something that the mortgage lenders want to see. They don't want to see anything else happening through that business. But then Company A loans the property, you know, James Martin, dentistry loans, James Martin property investments, the money that they you know that you had that 113K left over. You then go buy some properties with it you know however you choose to invest that is really up to you at this point but so this is where the 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 mind starts focusing this journey slightly differently is we now start looking at corporate structure so we've gone from sole sole trader to limited company now we're talking about limited companies and how do we structure that and this is where things like holding companies come into it and how we move money efficiently between the companies because. I'm going to give you an example. I, mean, I, I had a, I met with a prospective client recently who had a number of limited companies, but then they had sort of this experience repeated four times where if you've got four limited companies and you're the shareholder of all four limited companies, you can't take out 50K out of each company. Your, your 50K is based on your income tax. So they had money locked in all these businesses that they couldn't do anything with. So I mean, I advised them a restructure that meant she was able to, live, to move that money around more efficiently and not paying tax because when a company pays another company dividends there's no tax on that. it's only when it reaches a person you start paying um, income tax on, on dividends. and then we start looking to the future and again going back to to the journey it really is a journey is understanding you know what your long-term aspirations are you know have you got kids do you want do you want to start looking at trust funds and now we're sort of 10 20 years down the line where you're, you're thinking long-term succession is how do I pass these assets onto my kids? It's much, much more tax efficient and cheaper to give your kids shares than it is to try and break up uh, properties and give it to them that way. Because ultimately what you're trying to do is give them ownership anyway, but you you can give them shares in your businesses, which is far more tax efficient to do that.
0: Really, really simple, fundamental, probably slightly, mm, I mean, probably, yeah, just a really basic question. Okay, it's a very simplistic question when we come the actual process of setting up a limited company through which we can get paid our dental income is it as simple as we go to company's house we set up the company choose whatever name we like get the company get the there is a number I believe that comes with the company I can't remember exactly it's like a reference number use that number to set up a limited company bank account on say, for the sake of argument, Starling or any sort of online bank that is very easy to do or to use, that then after that, we just get paid into that company's accounts. We just ask our employer to pay into that company's accounts rather than pay into our own personal accounts. And then we're off. Is that it?
1: As easy as that. I think the one thing you've got to do is, um, if you've got a contract with the, the company or the practice you work with, is just re, re, re change, just change the name on the contract that says they're now no longer paying James Martin, they're paying James Martin Limited. Um, and then you're, you've are you got it all, you know, you've crossed the eyes, you dotted the T, well, the other way around, you cross the, the T's, dotted the I's at that point. Um, that says everything matches up. The company's now the contract holder, the company's got its own bank account. Um, setting up a company is dead easy. If you want to use the word of any form of dentist, dental, dentistry, you've got to get permission from GDC. Um, to use the com- to use that word in your um, company name. And it's, it's easier than emailing them. They'll, they'll, they'll send you an email confirmation that you can. Um, you send that proof to um, company's House and they, they allow you to set up, You know, if you want to set up James Martin Dentistry, then you just need permission from GDC to do that. But then once you've got that, you then get your company registration number, your, your memorandums of articles, your share structure, you're your now the entity that exists. You then get your unique tax reference number from um, companies, how also from HMRC, and then the bank might ask to see that as well. Um, and then to set up your payroll, you then got to register for payroll, and then we, we do your pay slips, your P60s, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, but we set that an amount that's quite tax efficient to do that. So it's, it's, it's not a massive amount of money, but again, it's it's to do that because the company can claim your wages as an expense. Um, but yeah, so it, it is that as it is sort of as straightforward as as you've laid out.
0: Yeah, and we might be getting. We might be over making this overly complex here, but let's say our first you know, if we were to get really into really into the nuance of this, let's say for the sake of argument that our first fifty K, when we're paying the basic rate, is we've we've decided that according to our circumstances, it's so much more efficient for me to get paid that fifty K to my personal account versus my limited account. There's no reason why I can't go to my employer at the start of the tax year, change it back to James Martin personal holdings. Okay, wait until I get to that point where I hit my first 50K and then switch it to my limited company at that stage. Is that something that we can do? Is that is that commonplace? Is that something that people do?
1: Less common. um, It's normally done when people are managing their superannuation. So, you know, if again, family planning um you can opt in and out so you can switch in and out where you know i'm going a client who's, who's 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 planning to start a family so they they um stopped getting paid into the limited company um, changed the the agreement and then got it paid to their sole trader account and then um as easy as opting back into the pension scheme um at that point money then just us get you just you suddenly sign a new contract dissolve the old co- uh, the old contract and the limited company, uh, I think the risk is people just going to shut it down. Don't need to do that. If there's no money going through it and you've started your new tax year, is we, we registered the company as dormant. I just tell you to kill the company's bank account because nothing can go through the bank account. It's kill the bank account Leave it as it is. And then leave the company structure as it is because if you're going to revisit it at some point, then it's fine. But if you had, uh, in the previous example, so when you use a 200k example, that like you had you know, 113k a year, if you did that over five years, you've potentially invested nearly half a million pounds. Um, You can opt out and take um, the the income for whatever reason you want as an NHS and as a sole trader. You're still accruing dividend income, but you just leave that in the company um, until the time that you want to take it back out. And that can be an effective pension strategy as well that says, you know, you just leave the company open and have all the money sat in there for however long you want and milk it in the future that says, I've got a client that likes to go travelling, so he's built up the reserves in his business. And he's, worked, he's got two years' worth of traveling income in there. So he's going to have to work for two years. He's taken out little 50K a year for, for the last couple of years. He's got money built up and he's just going to use that to travel now, which is a great way to do it, to be fair. But it's, uh, and again, it comes down to aspirations.
0: Cool. And when you were speaking, one other thing that I just wanted to ask about, just to clarify when we were talking about it earlier, when you were saying about moving, comp- moving money between various limited companies and doing it, via dividends so therefore it can be tax-free would that mean that we would have to name those other would all those various limited companies have to be shareholders within each other or can you pay dividends to anyone anyone any
1: company you like so i'm gonna get handsy now so bear with me so if uh, in that example um, what you would have is, um, let's say the associate limited company was here, Bulgari. So you would loan the money left to right that says, "I'm going to loan that money to um, JM Properties." Yeah, let's. And let's then say we I, had
0: four companies, and one was called A, yeah, B, C, and D, something like that. Yeah. So for to go to A to B, all we'd need to do, yeah, if we use that, then that might be a nice place just to name them all: A, B, C, and cool. D. Just to keep it simple.
1: So, so let's say, let's say you've taken that first step and we've set up a limited company, and that A is the dental, the, the associate dental income. And then you want to set up a property business, which is B. So a, a could loan money to B, but then B owes that money back. And then you set up C is, um, you know, A can loan money to C, B can loan money to C, however you want to do it. It's just a loan. The most efficient way to do that is actually not own shares in any one of those companies. Is to set up E. E owns the shares in all the companies. Uh-huh. So what, so all the money goes up and down, and it's really clean to do that. I'm giving away some secrets here. But <laughs> you know. uh, that. It, it's, it's really efficient to do that because what happens is um, if you start making loans between sort of other companies, and let's say you've built up this business unit that you want to sell, if it's got loans all over the place, it can put, put off a uh, prospective buyer. But if you've got just one loan up and down, it makes it dead straightforward um and then all it means is you no longer own shares in all these businesses you own the shares up here and then um you all the dividends just go up to that company there um and then you take your income out of that
0: one amazing i'm glad i asked that i'm glad i asked that then because there is there is a little bit of well, we have to be conscious of that. It is something that we have to plan for in advance. You yeah. can't, you can't just do it. Just bam, you know. You already have to have the company set up, and it has to be a shareholder. I mean, it doesn't take very long, but it has to be pre-arranged.
1: No, and I think that if you get to the stage later down the line that you want to move the share structure around, we can do it. It's completely, you know, it's it, anything can be done at that point. Is there's there's some additional costs just to make sure. Um, we're not we're not going to upset any lenders. You know, if you've got loans against the business, we're not going to upset them. If there's directors' guarantees, that we're not going to upset upset, uh, upset any of that. Um, so it's if we, if we just have to unpick certain things, that just make sure all our ducks in a row that we're not going to upset anyone. And that that might mean engaging a spare, you know, a corporate restructuring lawyer that you pay a couple of grand to to make sure that they've they've signed it off. That gives us the assurance that what we're doing is correct and it's done, it's executed correctly. Uh, I mean, I don't sit here and pretend to know everything so sometimes I go to third parties for for additional advice that you know either I'll pay for or I pass that on to the um the client but I, I make them aware of why we're having to do this It says that it might be a 5k cost but we're going to save 50k in the long term or say 50k this year um so it, it's it's worth doing.
0: Balal thank you so much for sharing your expertise today that episode had an incredibly high concentration of what I like to call g p m which is an acronym that stands for gems per minute and the higher <laughs> gpm we have, the more useful it is to everybody who listens and I learned loads today. I'm certain everybody's list who's listening has learned a ton today. Wow, thank you so much for that. Was there anything that else that you wanted to cover in this episode before we wrap it up? i knew I know that there was a few other things that we spoke about off camera company cars, anything else that you might think just might draw, draw a nice line under it or frequently asked questions, FAQs, FactBuster here today so that that can help anybody maybe alleviate your answering these frequently asked questions in future because I'm sure you get tons off them all the time. Feel free to just go a little bit off-piece now and jump in with any of those. What are your
1: thoughts about wrapping those up in a, in a different podcast that says maybe a, a oh. tax tip?
0: Okay, I think I think do you know what we've set the scene really nicely for another podcast. In fact, you know what I think I'm going to do? I'm going to make this episode into two podcasts already. So we're going to get some serious bang for a buck, Bilal, because we're going to have three <coughs> podcasts in total. But I think you're right. You know what? We could very quickly shoehorn some more stuff in right now from this absolute wealth of knowledge that you have in, inside your head. I'm really impressed. We could shoehorn it in right now or we could just do another episode entirely. And you know what else would be really cool as well? Anybody who wants to ask any questions to either me or Bilal based on what they've heard in these two episodes, feel free to do that between now and the next episode. And we'll aim to do that maybe in about a month or so so we can let this one just filter out there. We can let this one sink in and we can let everybody have an opportunity to get back to us with some questions that's a top idea does that sound good to you great idea great good morning. Idea. Great idea let's do that brilliant awesome Bilal, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today and sharing your infinitely vast knowledge wow thank you so much
1: you're more than welcome James. it's been an absolute pleasure i've enjoyed doing this i'm starting to sound a bit hoarse now so it's probably a good <laughs> it is a good idea to, to wrap it up there but um that my my Instagram account is at Heath or Green. Uh, feel free to reach out to me if I've if I've covered something that you'd like to go or anyone listening would like to go through in greater detail. Then uh, feel free to drop me sliding to the DMs. And then in my bio is my calendar that says Just if you want to put some time in. married
0: ladies. Bilal is married. Before you go sliding <laughs> into his DMs.
1: <laughs> Slide into my DMs professionally, respectfully, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, yeah. So my my calendar is in my bio. So uh, there's a link tree. Feel free to, feel free to drop me a line. Um, uh, as you might have gathered, I like the sound of my own voice. So I'm I'm quite happy to mm-hmm. to make any of this a bit more tangible to anyone that might be listening. But I, I mean, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me on. I've, I've really looked forward to this.
0: No, me too, mate. It actually has been a lot of fun. So thank you so much for appearing once more. But as I say, we're going to wrap it up now. Thank you ever so much for coming on this podcast. Guys, for anybody out there who is listening, who is not already a member of the Dentists Who Invest community, feel free to find us on Facebook. Dentists Who Invest, community group for dentists who enjoy trading. A group, a community that's been created to grow dentists' financial awareness, financial knowledge, And plug that gap that we never actually got filled at university before we got thrust out into the big bad world, the world of finance, the world where money actually matters and we're no longer a student anymore. That's the whole point of it. Feel free to join that community if you enjoyed this podcast. Like, comment, subscribe to the podcast itself via whatever platform you enjoy listening to the podcast. We release them every single week. I'm the host. I have a lot of fun doing it. Hopefully, we've got everybody passionate and as interested about finance as i believe we rightfully should be and yeah thanks again for a great episode bala we're going to draw a line under it now i'm going to let you get off and enjoy your evening it's been a pleasure my friend
1: thank you thanks
0: if you enjoyed this podcast please hit follow or subscribe so you can stay up to date with information on new podcasts which are released weekly please also feel free to leave a positive review so others can learn about this podcast and benefit from it I would also encourage any fans of the podcast to sign up to the free Facebook community from which the podcast originated. Please search Dentists Who Invest on Facebook and hit join to become part of a community of thousands of other dentists interested in improving their finances, well-being and investing knowledge. Looking forward to seeing you on there.